It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Somebody that knows a thing or two about the Me Too movement, not only in the United States, but uh, internationally, is Vicky Wong. Vicky Wong is a fascinating person who has led and continues to lead an absolutely fascinating life. Uh, she is a translator turned writer, a model turned stand-up comedian, someone that lived uh, for about a decade in Shanghai, and she joins us now, I believe, from uh, Taiwan. Vicki Wong, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the radio. Thank you for inviting me, Frank. Uh, Vicki, you are in Taiwan now, right? Yes, I am back in Taiwan for the next couple of months for visa issues. Ah, okay. Uh, well, that, that sounds uh, that sounds frustrating. I can imagine. Hey, uh, give folks an idea if they're unfamiliar with your history. Uh, a little bit about your story. Uh, where did you uh, Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born and raised in Taiwan, but I have this very deceivingly American accent um, because both of my parents are English teachers in Taiwan. So. I've been speaking English most of my life. I train as an interpreter and translator. I uh, moved to Shanghai 10 years ago. I lived in the American Midwest in high school as a foreign exchange student. Um, those were very inform- like very formative years of my life uh, in Missouri and Minnesota. And I'm now trying to build a new life in New York City. Well, that's uh, that's terrific. And uh, I don't blame you for waiting until you were out of New York for coming on the radio because it's a much more convenient hour uh, that in Taiwan to be on this show than if you were in uh, in New York. How did you uh, end up living in Shanghai for a decade? Oh, in a very classic story where I followed a boyfriend uh, across the Taiwan Strait. <laughs> I, uh, I was dating. I was dating someone in Taiwan. He was relocated to Shanghai and asked me to, if, if I wanted to go with him. And that relationship didn't work out, but my career took off in a big way in Shanghai. So I decided to stay. And you didn't secretly pretend to still be together, unlike Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. <laughs> I just read about that. I heard you guys talking about it earlier. Um, no, no, it was, a, it was an amicable breakup. I'm really grateful for him to have introduced me to the idea of China. Um, you know, growing up in Taiwan with like the, the news and the tension and the propaganda I grew up with, China really wasn't high on my list. I had always dreamed of moving to the United States. You know, it's so interesting. There are some countries where the the government uh, of two different countries don't necessarily get along, but a lot of times the people do. And sometimes it's uh, it's vice versa. Sometimes uh, the United States may get along very well with uh, the government of a country, but uh, a lot of the people that live in that country don't necessarily think that well of, uh, of the United States. I- I'm very interested, and since you've had sort of a foot in both worlds, I'm interested in your perspective on the state of U.S. Sino relations right now because the United States and China have sort of this codependent economic relationship. The United States is dependent upon China to borrow all this money to keep its government functioning. So much of the goods that uh, we purchase in the United States are made in China and uh, so much of what we export ends up going to China. But especially since COVID, there seems like there's some renewed tension. I'm curious, when you talk to rank-and-file Americans in New York, or when you talk to rank-and-file Chinese, how do they feel about the other side, as it were? That's, 
that's such that's that's such a tough question. Uh, Americans tend to have a very limited view or understanding of China, um, especially it's, and it's very informed by what the media reports. The headlines uh, coming out of China tend to tend to instill a lot of doubt and fear. And I think the average American about the Chinese government and then by, you know, you know, guilty by association, the Chinese mm-hmm. people, which I think is really unfair. The Chinese people tend to like, uh, I, I think like most people in the world, uh, uh, Chinese people look up to America and think of America as, you know, a place to aspire to. Now, a lot of them also are influenced by their media headlines and think, oh, the U.S. is interfering with Chinese, you know, in, internal you know, politics and whatnot. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. I wish there was like a very straightforward. No, I, I mean, a, in a country is. with a billion people, I, I'm imagining there's a diversity of opinion. I, I can there's certainly. So many <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Hey, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Vicki Wong. If you want to learn more about her, you could uh, check out her website. Uh, you could find it at Vicki, V I C K I E W dot com. That's Vicki W dot com. You're in Taiwan now. I know that's uh, where you said that you grew up. Obviously, Taiwan is the Republic of China. The People's Republic of China mm-hmm. still uh, considers it part of mainland, uh, c- considers it part of China. Do the folks in Taiwan consider themselves Chinese or do they consider themselves for the most part as having a distinct nationality and ethnicity? I think like the last survey I read, something over 80 percent of Chinese people feel distinctly and identify distinctly as Taiwanese, but there's a huge generational divide. Mm. Like, for example, three out of my four grandparents moved from, well, I say moved, they're refugees, right? That it was, this was 1945 during the civil war between the nationalists and the communists in China. The nationalists were losing. So in 1945, there was a huge migration of refugees from China mainland to Taiwan. Now, that's three out of my four grandparents. I have another grandparent who was born, raised in Taiwan. So when you get to, like, age 50 and above, a lot of people in Taiwan were born uh, parents who were born in China, who have a very strong like identification with Chinese uh, politics, culture. So it, it's a mixed bag. The younger generation tends very much to be pro, we are Taiwanese, we are Taiwan. Hmm. Um, it's funny. We just had on October 10th is our national day. We just had, you know, our big national day celebration. And because this year we changed it from Republic of China national day to Taiwan national day, there was a big brouhaha. Oh, so really? Some of the politicians like refused to attend the ceremony, like, because they had to like take a stand like, Oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be cutting off our heritage. We shouldn't be cutting off our identity as Republic of China. So it's, it's again, very mixed bag. Interesting. Um, how do you view yourself? Do you think of yourself as American? Do you think of yourself as Chinese, as Taiwanese? How do you, what do you think of, how do you identify? I am Taiwanese, Taiwanese through and through. Although I, I do recognize that I, when I exist in the world, I am very much Asian American passing. You know, people interact with me because I have a strong American accent People interact with me as if I were born in the U.S., which, you know, that comes with its own set of privileges and challenges. Um, but I feel Taiwanese. Uh, we're talking with uh, Vicki Wong. Um, 
comedian and uh, very just an all around interesting personality. She's in uh, Taipei right now. How did you get into comedy, Vicky? <laughs> That's actually, um, yeah. So I was in Shanghai. I've been for several years and I loved going to stand up comedy shows. But a lot of the a lot of the performers were white male expatriates who were based in Shanghai, and a lot of the jokes seemed to be about dating crazy Chinese girls. <laughs> Wait, and just just thought, so just so folks understand, you would go to stand up shows in Shanghai in China, and the people w- that would be performing yes. would be American. Uh, a lot of them Americans, uh, some Brits, some Australians, some Irish. Like it's a, it's a very Shanghai. Shanghai used to be a very very international city, and I love that about it. But yeah, I would be going to you know a, a, a comedy show in China, and the men on stage would be shitting on Chinese women. Just be careful uh, with me, with your got, profanity in either got language. Tired yeah. of it. Yeah, uh, understood. So you think um, if any of the, these guys can Sorry. be doing comedy, then then you certainly can. Well, I figured if they're going to talk about crazy Chinese girls, one of the crazy Asian girls should be able to put up a rebuttal. <laughs> and, and is that the source material for a lot of what's in your act? You dating these these crazy boyfriends of yours? Very much so. Yeah, like one one challenge of doing stand-up comedy in Shanghai, obviously, is because there's very strong censorship. You know, you can't talk about the three T's. There's so there's no no material about Taiwan, Tibet, or Tiananmen Square, and anything else politically colored, uh, which is you know for a lot of American comedians very much their wheelhouse. We have to take from like daily observations. So I did a ton of material on intercultural dating, online dating specifically. How different is your act when you perform in the United States versus when you perform in China? Oh, very different. <laughs> yeah, it was actually, it's, it's been a learning process, actually. Um, I, I think of it as, a, as like, I just had, like, there was like a muscle that atrophied when it comes to talking about, like, Taiwanese identity, when, when talking about, or, or even, like, making making jokes about China. I didn't do any of that for four or five years in Shanghai. So now I'm now that I'm in New York, I have this newfound freedom, but I kind of have to like rebuild that muscle. Like I had to like hmm. rehab it. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Right. For instance, if you're you're on radio and you're used to not being able to use profanity and then you start doing a a podcast where you could say the F word as much as you want, you may not start saying it 20 times per hour right away. Right. Right. Like it's not it's not an adjustment that happens overnight. And also, like now that I'm in New York City, there's a whole different set of social constraints. Right. Like, you know, when I first moved to to New York City, um, one thing that I have to adjust to is that now people often introduce themselves with their gender pronouns. Now, I am still an English as a second language English speaker. 
So gender pronouns is one of those things that as, as a native Chinese speaker, we often mess up on. So I have to like tread very carefully when once someone has like declared the pronouns to me, I have to adhere to that. But, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's many different adjustments. Sure. Well, if but it makes it's definitely you definitely a lot more fun. Yeah, I, I can is, imagine. <laughs> I can imagine if it makes you feel any better as a native English speaker. I mess up the gender pronouns, especially the plural and the they aspect of it frequently. So I, I don't think uh, I don't think that's unique to those that uh, that are native Chinese speakers. You mentioned Vicky the. Um, yeah, oh, it certainly is. You mentioned the um, national celebrations uh, taking place this week. Taiwan's been uh, in the news a great deal, and there's been some posturing from mainland China that uh, they've been more aggressive militarily, and there's been a lot of discussion internationally that there might be some attempt of some sort of military invasion of Taiwan by China. This is something that's talked about in America. I imagine it's talk about even more in Taiwan. Do people in Taiwan, the rank and file Taiwanese person, do they feel afraid of something like that happening? That's the funny thing is that I have that conversation way more with Americans than I do with Taiwanese people. Because for Taiwanese people, you have to understand the civil war technically never ended. There was no, there was no embassy. Like we didn't, we didn't, we never actually ended the war. So these, you know, military drills that happen in our waters, that has been happening for as long as I've been alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I've been doing, ever since I was in elementary school, I was doing air raid drills. Like we're, in some ways, we've always been prepared for this and we've, we've always been under threat. It wasn't until Nancy Pelosi came for a quick visit that it kind of escalated to global knowledge. But it's something that we've been living with for a long time. So it sounds like the answer is no. It's not as if people, when you go to the store or the uh, or the the town square, people are panicked over the possibility of a Chinese invasion. Yeah, I would say there are few, like percentage wise, percentage wise, there are fewer Taiwanese people who are doomsday preppers than there are doomsday preppers in America. <laughs> Got it. Uh, hey, I, I caught and I think this is how you first came on my radar screen. I caught an uh, op ed that you wrote in the uh, New York Times uh, all about the Me Too movement in Taiwan. Tell us about that. Uh, a lot of attention's been paid to the Me Too movement in America, and it sort of led to a reevaluation of how men and women interact in uh, the workplace and in Hollywood and in just in regular court. How has the Me Too movement unfolded in Taiwan? Yeah, it's it's interesting because Taiwan, there were so many headlines leading up to me writing that article. There were so many headlines about how Taiwan was late to the party somehow, like, oh, four years after the Me Too movement started in the United States. Da, 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 da. And for me, it was very much like, oh, no, we not every country has to have you know, social movement on America's agenda. Uh, like, obviously, the, the Me Too movement in the U.S. was hugely impactful and influenced the world. That tends to be how the U.S. operates. You guys are a very influential entity. But Thank Taiwan you. didn't really come to... Yes, yes. Please be proud of that. Seriously. Um, but yeah, Taiwan didn't really come to terms with our own gendered issues until there was this Netflix show, Taiwanese Netflix show called Wavemakers, that um, very, very authentically portrayed 
uh, Taiwanese political campaigns and workplace culture. Um, so in the show, two women have this discussion about how one, one, the more junior employee was complaining to her supervisor saying that she had been harassed at work and her supervisor said, let's not let this go this time because this is, this is how you die. If you let everything go bit by bit, you die over time. And that just really resonated with a ton of Chinese women. And then, so one one woman who was working for the Democratic Progressive Party, which is the ruling party in Taiwan at the moment, she came forward and said she had been uh, harassed on the job and reported to the head of the women's issues department and was rebuffed, which, you know, was disheartening. Mm -hmm. Um, But that sort of, she posted her story on Facebook and that opened the floodgate. Women from all walks of life came forward with their stories. Uh, So like, you know, accused people in academia in entertainment in politics, um, in business in in social activism, a ton of cases came out and that was, but like we needed our own like media representation before we saw that. Right. Like, Hollywood startlets being harassed was definitely symbolic for a lot of people, but for Taiwanese people seeing that in a Taiwanese context, I think was what really made us feel like we have, like it gave us a vocabulary to talk about what was happening in our day-to-day life. Interesting. As I can tell you, I can tell you as a Taiwanese woman growing, who grew up in Taiwan, I was very much trained to expect sexual harassment daily. Like I'm used to being leered at on the subway. I, 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 you know, like I had classmates who like would flip my skirt because we wear uniform and they're very gender coded. Um, I just grew up expecting it and also expecting no one to come to your aid and no one to, no one to hold the guys accountable. So this is a huge shift for us. It's, it's absolutely a step in the right direction. Well, it certainly sounds like a positive. Uh, Vicki Wong, I very much appreciate the time. Hey, are you performing in uh, the U.S. or in New York anytime soon that people should be aware of? Not just yet. Once I have my visa sorted out and I come back to the U.S., I'll have dates and gigs lined up. Right. So well, for you- now, I'm in Taiwan enjoying the food you know, eating my mother's feelings and just chilling. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, have a great trip and uh, maybe we'll chat again since you're in a convenient time zone for us. Yeah, thank you. Great <laughs> right. talking to you. Uh, Vicki Wong, if you want to comment on uh, any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. And uh, you can check out her website, vickiw.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.